postgraduate work at uh, the Shakespeare Institute in England. Uh, she's been reviewing Shakespeare and related productions, films, books, and music for the past four years in the San Francisco Bay Area, New York, Chicago, Oregon, England, and the, Sha and the Sundance Film Festival, and has served as the editor-in-chief of Play Shakespeare and uh, .com since March of 2007. Uh, she lectures in the Humanities Department at San Francisco State University. She teaches Shakespeare, various literature, poetry, and philosophy. She guest lectures on Shakespeare and theater at various high schools and other venues in the Bay Area, much like today. And uh, she has co-produced two productions at San Francisco's American Conservatory Theater. Uh, the woman I'm speaking of is none other than the great and powerful Denise Batista, and she's going to tell you why. <laughs> Now it's important, I mean, it's, it's basically the, the, the 
the precursor to our current credit and banking system today. They were the beginning of that. And it's important that you have that in order to establish, you know, commerce, in order to, to fund things like, you know, get property, to fund wars. Um, so the Jews fulfilled that very vital role, but they were also heavily discriminated against because usury to Christians is a sin. They're not allowed to, they saw it as breeding money. Um, Jews were heavily discriminated against for the next 200 years, or actually before something major was done for the next 200 years. They were, there was all kinds of myths about, about Jews in England, about how they spread the plague, how they hunted children in the middle of the night in order to get their blood for their you know, religious rituals, how um, they were Christ killers. Just so much myth and legend and crap abounded. Um, and then in 1275, something pretty major happened. King Edward um, set forth the Statute of Jewry, which um, took away even more rights from Jews, made it so they could no longer practice their profession of usury, and also imposed heavier and heavier and heavier taxes upon them. Edward needed more money to fund his wars and whatnot, and he pretty much exhausted the Jews. So what he did is he, about 15 years later, he taxed his own people. And he said, well, you know what? You don't like the Jews, so what I'm going to do for you, I tax you, I'll get rid of them all. So he put forth, um, he, he expelled all the Jews from England for the next 350 years. So from 1290 to 1655, pretty much none. Except 1492-ish, during the time of the Spanish Inquisition, Jews were also expelled from Spain. And um, some of them, a few, took refuge in England. And one in particular is very important because some people believe that he is one of the prototypes for Shakespeare's Shylock. And it was a gent named Rodrigo Lopez. Rodrigo Lopez was a pretty important guy in England because he was the physician to the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth. Now, he served her quite well. She favored him for quite some time, but then a conspiracy started. Spain and England did not like each other, and there was a conspiracy, and the, uh, somebody pointed at Rodrigo Lopez and said that he was trying to murder the queen. Oh, not really what you want to hear. So he was put on trial. He vehemently de denied this, and he also said that he was, he was not a Jew, that he actually converted to Christianity well before all this. But people didn't listen to him. People said that part of the reason why you did this is because you're Spanish, but also part of the reason is because you're a devil, you're a Jew. And he was found guilty and executed. He was first hung and then drawn and quartered. And executions were public at that time. So this is in London. And mind you, this is the time when Shakespeare was in London. So they we're talking 1594, two years before we believe Shakespeare wrote this play. Some people believe that Shakespeare may very well have been present at this hanging, at this public hanging, where up there, there's Lopez saying he did not do this, he's not responsible. Uh, he, and he's a Christian, and people mocked him, people yelled at him, people laughed, and he was hung. So perhaps a prototype for, for Shakespeare's character, Shylock. Another 
perspective outside of this that Shakespeare had of, of Jews in England was Christopher Marlowe, his contemporary writing at that time in London, wrote the play 1594, 32, oh, I'm going to help, <laughs> a few years before, um, he wrote The Jew of Malta very popular play, play over and over again, and his, the, his Jewish character, Barabbas, was an absolute murderous, psychopathic villain. So this is Shakespeare's perspective. Some critics say that Shakespeare plays Shylock in a very anti-Semitic way, and some people say that Shylock, he's, he's putting this character there as, an, as a critique on Christianity, a critique on discrimination and oppression. All right, there's some background. I want to do a quick summary of the play. Yes? All right, cool. That's very Don't quick. Very quick. Sorry to give it away, but there are a few. The marriages, I'd say, are that are something that you ought to focus on, the marriage between Portia and Bassanio, and the marriage between Jessica and Lorenzo. Jessica is Shylock's daughter. She is a Jew, and she marries Lorenzo, who is a Christian. Um, Portia is a rich lady who lives in this almost fairy tale-esque land, and Bassanio woos, wins, and weds her. Um, but the thing here is they do not have the right to choose who it is they want to marry. And there's this concept, this idea that Shakespeare uses in a, in a few of his plays, but pretty heavy here, if you will, and it's the idea of the heavy father. Um, concept of the heavy father is a member of the older generation tries to control the choice of a child's marriage partner. It is then up to the child to defeat the will of the father in order to gain the right to choose, and then change the future by, or have a future by changing the past. Um, without doing the summary,
relationship, whether it is mutual or it is unrequited, in that Antonio loves Bassanio, but it is an unrequited love. And in the beginning of the play, you're going to learn that Antonio the merchant is sad, but we don't know why he's sad. And he says he doesn't know why he's sad. And some say that perhaps he's sad because he is lamenting over a love that he cannot have. And there's some interesting stuff in the play during this trial scene, which I certainly won't summarize, but it's a really spectacular part of the play. Antonio and Bassanio, in a way, exchange vows right there in court, profess their love to one another right there in court. And I am going to read just a few lines from it. that other, to exploit that other, to oppress that other. 
In this play, I'd say, Portia is the female other, but more importantly, we have Shylock as an other who is discriminated against based upon religion, race, personal beliefs, his identity. And we have Antonio. If we do a homosexual reading of Antonio, he is discriminated against as being this other who at the end of the play, well, I said it before. You know, in this ring exchange, there's seven people on the stage tonight. But if it was Shakespeare's play here, there's seven people on the stage. There's three heterosexual married couples, and there's Antonio. And there's every reason in the world to believe that these three heterosexual married couples are going to go off and start futures and and be happy and la 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 la. And what about Antonio, this other who we have no reason to give him a future. We have no, no evidence that anything has changed for him, that anything has moved forward. We have every reason in the world to believe that he is going to go back to being that same merchant in the very first lines of the play who is sad and he's not going to tell us why. So, ถึงเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเรื่องเ
Come with Lorenzo. Fare you well a while. Farewell. Exit Gratiano and Lorenzo. Is that anything now? Gratiano speaks an infinite deal of nothing, more than any man in all of Venice. His reasons are as two grains of wheat hid in two bushels of chaff. You shall seek all day ere you find them, and when you have them, they are not worth the search. Well, tell me now what lady is the same to whom you swore a secret pilgrimage that you today promised to tell me of. Tis not unknown to you, Antonio, how much I have disabled mine estate by something showing a more swelling port than my faint means would grant continuance. Nor do I now make moan to be a bridge from such a noble rate. But my chief care is to come fairly off from the great debts, wherein my time something too prodigal hath left me gagged. To you, Antonio, I owe the most, in money and in love. And from your love, I have a warranty to unburden all my plots and purposes, how to get clear of all the debts I owe. I pray you, good Bassanio, let me know it. And if it stand, as you yourself still do, within the eye of honor, be assured, my purse, my person, my extremist means lie all unlocked to your occasions. In Belmont is a lady richly left, and she is fair, and fairer than that word of wondrous virtues. Sometimes from her eyes, I did receive fair speechless messages. Her name is Portia. Nothing undervalued to Cato's daughter, Brutus's Portia, nor is the wide world ignorant of her worth, for if the four winds blow in from every coast, renowned suitors, and her sunny locks hang on her temples like a golden fleece, which makes her seat of Belmont's culture strand, and many Jasons come in quest of her. Oh, my Antonio. Had I but the means to hold a rival place with one of them? I have a mind presages me such thrift that I should questionless be fortunate. Thou knowest that all my fortunes are at sea. <coughs> Neither have I money nor commodity to raise a present sum. And therefore go forth. Try what my credit can in Venice do, that shall be racked even to the uttermost, to furnish thee to Belmont, to fair Portia. Go, presently inquire, and so will I. Where money is, and I no question make to have it of my trust or for my sake. They exit. Scene two, Belmont, a room in Portia's house. Enter Portia and Nerissa. By my troth, Nerissa, my little body is a wary of this great world. You would be, sweet madam, if your miseries were in the same abundance as your fortunes are. And yet, for all I see that you're sick, that serveth with too much, as they that they starve with nothing. Good sentences and well pronounced. Will be better if we'll follow. If to do were as easy as to know what were good to do, chapels have been churches and poor men's cottages, princes' palaces. It is a good divine that follows his own instructions. I can easier teach twenty what were good to be done than be one of the twenty to follow my own teaching. The brain may devise laws for the blood, but this reasoning is not in the fashion to choose me a husband. Oh, me. The word, choose. I may neither choose whom I would, nor refuse whom I dislike. So is the will of a living daughter curved by the will of a dead father. Your dead father was ever virtuous, and a holy man at their death have good inspirations. Therefore, the lottery that he hath devised in three chests of gold, silver, and lead, 
who of who chooses his meaning chooses you will no doubt never be chosen by any rightly, but one who shall rightly love. But what warmth is there in your affections towards any of these princely suitors that are already come? I pray thee, overname them, and as thou namest them, I will describe them. First, there is the Napoleon Prince. Aye, <laughs> that's a cult indeed, for he doth nothing but talk of his horse. <laughs> <laughs> then there's the County Palatine. No, he doth nothing but frown, as who should say, if you will not have me choose, he hears merry tales and smiles not. I fear he will prove the weeping philosopher when he grows old, being so full of unmannerly sadness in his youth. How about the French Lord Monsieur Le Bon? Read <coughs> him, and therefore let him pass for a man? <laughs> in truth, if I should marry him, I should marry twenty husbands. <laughs> What say you then to Falconbridge, the young baron of England? Oh, you know I say nothing to him, for he understands not me, nor I him. He hath neither Latin, nor French, nor Italian, and you will come into the court and swear that I have a poor penny worth in the English. He is a proper man's picture, but alas, who can converse with a dumb show? <laughs> How like you the young German, the Duke of Saxony's nephew? Very vilely in the morning when he is sober, and most vilely in the afternoon when he is drunk. <laughs> when he's best, he is little worse than a man, and when he is worst, he is little better than a beast. <laughs> if he should offer to choose, and choose the right casket, you should refuse to perform your father's will, if you should refuse to accept it. Therefore, for fear of the worst, I pray thee, set a deep glass of Rhenish wine on the contrary casket. For, for if the devil be within, and, and that temptation without, I know he will choose it. I will do anything, Nerissa, ere I'll be married to a sponge. You need not fear, lady, the having of any of these lords. They have acquainted me with their determinations, which is indeed to return to their homes and to trouble you with no more suit, unless you may be won by some other sort than your father's imposition, depending on the casket. If I live to be as old as Sibylla, I will die as chaste as Diana, unless I be obtained by the manner of my father's will. I am glad this parcel of wars are so reasonable, for there is not one among them but I dote on his very prep absence. And I pray God grant them a fair departure. Do you remember, lady, in your father's time, a Venetian a scholar and a soldier that came hither in the company of the Marquis of Montferrat? Yes. Yes. It was Pisanio. As I, I think he was so called. True, madam. <laughs> he of all the men I've ever laid my foolish eyes looked upon. <laughs> <laughs> was the best deserving of fair ladies. I remember him well, as I remember him worthy of thy praise. Enter a serving man. Come now. What news? There is a forerunner come from the Prince of Morocco who brings word his master will be here tonight. I could bid him welcome with so good a heart as I can bid the others farewell. I should be glad of his approach. <laughs> come, Nurissa. Sirrah, go before. 
Well, as we shut the gates upon one lure, another knocks at the door. They exit. Scene three, Venice, a public place. Enter Bassanio and Shylock. Three thousand ducats? Well, I said for three months. For three months? Well, for the which, as I told you, Antonio shall be bound. Antonio shall be bound. Well, <laughs> shall I know your answer? Three thousand ducats for three months, and Antonio... Your bound. answer to that? Antonio's a good man. Have you heard any imputation to the contrary? Oh, no. No, 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 no. My meaning in saying he's a good man is to have you understand me that he's sufficient. <laughs> Yet his means are in supposition. He hath the ship bound to Tripoli, another to the Indies. I understand, moreover, upon the Rialto, he hath a third at Mexico, and a fourth for England, and other ventures he hath squandered abroad. But ships are but boards, sailors but men. There be land rats and water rats, water thieves and land thieves, and then there is the peril of waters, winds, and rocks. The man is, notwithstanding, sufficient. Three thousand ducats. I think I may take his book. Be assured you may. I will be assured I may, and that I may be assured. And may I speak with Antonio? If it please you to dine with us. Yes. To smell pork, to eat of the habitation which your prophet the Nazarite conjured the devil into. I will buy with you, sell with you, walk with you, talk with you, and so forth. But I will not eat with you, drink with you, nor pray. Enter Antonio. Uh, this is Signor Antonio. How like a fawning publican he looks. I hate him, for he is Christian, but more that in low simplicity he lends out money gratis and brings down the rate of usance with us here in Venice. If I can catch him but once on the hip, I will feed fat the ancient grudge I do bear him. He hates our sacred nation, and he rails. Even there were merchants most to congregate on me, my bargains, and my well-won thrift, which he calls interest. Cursed be my tribe if I forgive him. Shiloh, do you hear? I am debating with my present store. <laughs> and by the near guess of my memory, I cannot instantly raise up the gross of a full three thousand ducats. What of that? <laughs> Tubal, a wealthy Hebrew of my tribe, it furnished me. Shiloh, although I neither lend nor borrow by taking nor by, by giving of excess, yet to supply the ripe wants of my friend, I'll break a custom. Is he yet possessed how much he would? Aye, aye, three thousand ducats. And for three months. I forgot. Three months? <laughs> you told me so. Well then, your ball. Uh, let me see. But here you Methought you said you neither lend nor borrow upon advantage. I do never use it. Three thousand ducats. It is a good round sum. Three months from twelve. Let me see the, the rate. Well, Shylock, shall we be beholding to you? Signor Antonio, many a time, and oft in the Rialto, you have rated me. 
about my monies and my usances. Still I have borne it with a patient shrug, for sufferance is the badge of all our tribe. You call me misbeliever, cutthroat dog, and spit upon my Jewish gabardine, and all for use of that which is mine own. Well, it now appears you need my help. Go to then, you come to me, and you say, Shylock, we're without monies. You say so. You, who did void your room upon my beard, and foot me as you spurn a stranger cur over your threshold. Money's is your suit. What should I say to you? Should I not say, Hath a dog money? Is it possible that a cur can lend thee three thousand ducats? Or shall I bend low and in a bondsman's key with bated breath and whispering humbleness say this, Fair sir, you spit on me on Wednesday last. You spurned me such a day. Another time you called me dog. And for these courtesies I'll lend you thus much money. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to call thee so again, to spit on thee again, to spurn thee too. If thou wilt lend this money, lend it not as to thy friends. For when did friendship take a brief for barren metal of his friend? But lend it rather to thine enemy, who, if he break, thou mayst with better face exact the penalty. Why, look you, how you storm. <laughs> friends with you and have your love. Forget the shames that you've stained me with. Supply, supply your pleasant wants and take no dwarf of usance for my monies, and you'll not hear me. This is kind, I offer. This were kindness. This kindness I will show. Go with me to a notary, seal me there your single bond, and in a merry sport, if you repay me not on such a day, in such a place, such sum or sums as are expressed in the condition. Let the forfeit be nominated for an equal pound of your fair flesh to be cut off and taken in what part of your body pleaseth me. Content of faith, I'll seal to such a bond and say there is much kindness in the Jew. You shall not seal to such a bond for me. I'll rather dwell in my necessity. Oh, I fear not, man, I will not forfeit it. Within these two months, that's a month before this bond expires, I do expect return of thrice, three times the value of this bond. Yes, Shylock, I will sign unto this. Then meet me forthwith at the notaries. Give him direction for this merry bond, and I will go and purse the bucket straight. See to my house. Presently I will be with thee, gentle Jew. Exit Shylock. The Hebrew will turn Christian, he grows kind. I like not fair terms in a villain's mind. Oh, come on, in this there can be no dismay. My ships come home a month before the day. There. Act two, scene one, Belmont, a room in Porsche's house. A flourish of cornets. <laughs> Prince of Morocco and his train. Portia, Nerissa, and others attending. <laughs> this light be not my reflection. The shadow of livery of the burnished sun to whom I am a neighbor near bread. 
But bring me the fairest creature northward born, where Phoebus's fire scarce thaws the icicles, and let us make incision for your love, to prove whose blood is reddest, his or mine. Tell thee, lady, this aspect of mine hath feared the valiant. By my love, I swear the best regarded virgins of our clime have loved it too. I would not change this hue except to steal your thoughts, my gentle queen. In terms of choice, I am not sole and led by nice direction of a maiden's eyes. Besides, the lottery of my destiny bars me the right to voluntary choosing. I pray you, lead me to the caskets to try my fortune. You must take your chance, and either not attempt to choose at all, or swear before you choose. If you choose wrong, never to speak to lady afterward in way of marriage. Therefore, be advised. Nor will not. Come, bring me unto my chance. First, forward to the temple. After dinner, your hazard shall be made. Good fortune, then, to make me blessed or cursed among men. Cornets. Scene two, Venice, the street. Inter Bassanio, inter Gratiano. Signor Bassanio, Gratiano, I have a suit to you. You have obtained it. You must not deny me. I must go with you to Belmont. Why, then, you must. But hear thee, Graziano. Thou art too wild, too rude, and bold of voice. Parts that become thee happily enough, and in such eyes as ours, appear not false. But where thou art not known, why, there they show something too liberal. Pray thee, take pain to allay with some cold drops of modesty thy skipping spirit, lest through thy wild behavior I be misconstrued in the place I go to, and lose my hopes. Signor Bassanio, hear me. If I do not put on a sober hat, talk with respect, and swear but now and then, wear prayer books in my pocket, look demurely, nay more, while grace is saying, hood mine eyes, thus with my hat and sigh, and say amen. Use all the observance of civility, like one well studied in a sad stent to please his grandam. Never trust me more. Well, we shall see your bearing. Nay, but I bar tonight. You shall not gauge me by what we do tonight. <laughs> no, that were a pity. I would entreat you rather to put on your boldest suit of mirth, for we have friends that purpose merriment. Fare you well, I have some business. And I must to Lorenzo and the rest. But we will visit you at supper time. They exit. Scene three, the same. A room in Shylock's house. Enter Jessica and Lancelot. There is a ducat for thee. Soon at supper shalt thou see Lorenzo, who is thy master's guest. Give him this letter. Do it secretly. And so farewell. I should not have my father see me and talk with thee. Adieu, most, sweet, most beautiful pagan, most sweet Jew. <laughs> if a Christian did not play the name and get thee, I am much deceived. But adieu, adieu. <laughs> Farewell, good Lancelot. Alack, what heinous sin is it in me to be ashamed to be my father's child? But though I am a daughter to his blood, I am not to his manners. O Lorenzo, if thou keep promise, I shall end this strife, become a, a Christian, and thy loving wife. Exits. Scene four, the same, the street. Enter Gratiano, Lorenzo, Salarino, and Solano. Nay, we will sleep away in supper time. Disguise us at my lodging and return, all in an hour. We have not made good preparation. We have not spoke us yet of torchbearers. Well, <laughs> tis vile, unless it may be quaintly ordered. And better in my mind, 
Not on the talk. It is now but four o'clock. We have two hours to furnish us. Enter Lancelot with a letter. Friend Lancelot, what's the news? And it shall please you to break up this. It shall seem to signify. I know the hand. In faith, tis a fair hand. And whiter than the paper it writ on is the fair hand of writ. Love news. In faith. By your leave, sir. Whither goest thou? Oh, hold here, take this. Tell gentle Jessica I will not fail her. Speak it privately. Go, gentlemen. Exit Lancelot. Will you prepare for this mass tonight? I am provided of a torchbearer. Hi, Mary. I'll be gone about it straight. And so am I. Meet me and Gratiano at Gratiano's lodging some hour hence. Tis good we do so. Exit Salarino and Solanio. Was not that letter from fair Jessica? I must needs tell thee all. She hath directed how I shall take her from her father's house, what gold and jewels she is furnished with, what pages suit she hath in readiness. If ever the Jew her father come to heaven, it will be for his gentle daughter's sake, and never dare misfortune cross her foot, unless she do it under this excuse, that she is issue to a faithless Jew. Come, go with me. Peruse thou us. Peruse this as thou goest, for fair Jessica shall be my torchbearer. They exit. Scene five, the same. Before Shylock's house, enter Shylock. Why, Jessica, I say! Enter Jessica. Call you. What is your will? I am bid forth to suffer, Jessica. There are my keys. But wherefore should I go? I am not bid for love. They flatter me. But yet I'll go in hate to feed on the prodigal Christian. Jessica, my girl. Look to my house. I am right loath to go. There is some ill brewing towards my rest, for I did dream of money bags tonight. Hear you me, Jessica. Lock up my doors, and when you hear the drum and the vile squealing of a wry-necked fife, clamor not you up to the casements then, nor thrust your head into the public street to gaze on Christian fools with varnished faces. Well, Jessica, go in. Perhaps I will return immediately. Do as I bid you. Shut doors after you. Fast find, fast find. A proverb never stale in thrifty mind. Exit. Farewell. And if my fortune be not crossed, I have a father. You, daughter lost. Exit. Scene six, the same. Intergratiano and Celerino. This is the penthouse under which Lorenzo desires to make stand. His hour is almost past. This marvel, he outdwells his hour, for lovers ever run before my clock. Oh, ten times faster Venus's pigeons fly to seal love's bonds new made, than they are wont to keep obliged faith unforfeited. That ever holds. Who rises from a feast with that keen appetite that he sits down? <laughs> here comes Lorenzo. More of this hereafter. Here Lorenzo. Sweet friends, your patience for my long abode. Not I, but my affairs have made you wait. When you shall please to play the thieves for wives, I'll watch as long for you then. Approach. Here dwells my father Jew. Who's within? Enter Jessica from above, in boys' clothes. Who are you? Tell me for more certainty. Albeit I'll swear I do that I do know your tongue. Lorenzo and thy love. Lorenzo certain, and my love indeed. For who love I so much? And now who knows but you, Lorenzo, whether I am yours? Heaven and thy thoughts are witness that thou art. Here, catch this casket. It is worth the pains. I am glad tis night you do not look on me, for I am much ashamed of my exchange. But love is blind, and lovers cannot see the pretty follies that they themselves commit. 
descend, for you must be my torchbearer. What? Must I hold a candle to my chains? They in themselves, good sooth, are too, too light. Why, tis an office of discovery, love, and I should be obscured. So are you sweet. But come at once, for the close night doth play the runaway. I will make fast the doors, and yield myself with some more ducats, and be with you straight. Exit from above. Now, by my hood, a Gentile, and no Jew. Assure me, but I love her heartily, for she is wise if I can judge of her, and fair she is that mine eyes be true, and true she is as she hath proved herself, and therefore, like herself, wise, fair, true, she should be placed in my constant soul. Enter Jessica from below. What art thou come? On, gentlemen, away! Our masking mates by this time for us stay. Exit. Scene 7, Belmont, a room in Portia's house. Flores and Cornet. <laughs> Enter Portia, the Prince of Morocco, and their trains. Go draw aside the curtains and discover the several caskets to this noble prince. Now, make your choice. The first of gold, who this inscription bears, who chooseth me shall gain what many men desire. The second, silver, which this promise carries, who chooseth me shall get as much as he deserves. This third, dull lead, with warning all his blood, who chooseth me must give and hazard all he hath. How shall I know if I do choose the right? The one of them contains my picture, Prince. If you choose that, then I am yours with all. Some can't direct my judgment. Let me see. I will survey the inscriptions back again. What says this leaden casket? Who chooseth me must give and hazard all he hath. Must give? For what? For lead? Hazard? For lead? This casket threatened. What says the silver with the virgin hue? Who chooseth me shall get as much as he deserves. As much as he deserves? Pause there, Morocco. Weigh thy value with an even hand. Thou beest rated by thy estimation, thou dost deserve enough, and yet enough may not extend so far as to the lady. Let's see once more the saying great to gold. Who chooseth me shall gain what many men desire. Why, that's the lady. All the world desires her, for princes do come to view fair Portia. Deliver me the key. Here I choose, the pride that I may. There, take it, Prince. And if my form lie there, then I am yours. He unlocks the golden casket. No! Oh, hell! <laughs> Here! Uh, carry a death, within whose empty eye there is a written scroll. I will read the writing. <laughs> All that glitters is not gold. Gilded tombs do worms unfold. Had you been as wise as bold, Young in limbs, in judgment old, your answer had not been in scroll. Fare you well, your suit is cold. <laughs> cold indeed, and labor lost. Farewell, heat, and welcome frost. Portia, adieu. I have too grieved a heart to take a tedious leave. Thus, lose his part. Exit with his train, Flores Venice, a street. Enter Salarino and Solano. Why, then, I saw Bassanio under sail. With him is Gratiano gone along, and in their ship I am sure Lorenzo is not. The villain Jew, without prize, raised the Duke, who went with him to search Bassanio's ship. He came too late. The ship was under sail. 
But there the Duke was given to understand that in a gondola were seen together Lorenzo and his amorous Jessica. Besides, Antonio certified the Duke they were not with Bassanio in his ship. I never heard a passion so confused, so strange, outrageous, and so variable as the dog duded under in the streets. My daughter! Oh, my ducats! Oh, my daughter! Flat with a Christian! Oh, my Christian ducats! Justice! The law! My ducats and my daughter! A sealed bag! Two sealed bags of ducats! Of double ducats! Stolen by me, by my daughter! And jewels! Two stones! Two rich and precious stones! Stolen by my daughter! Justice! Find the girl! She had the stones upon her and the ducats! Why? All the boys in Venice followed him, crying, His stones, his daughter, and his ducats! <laughs> <laughs> Let good Antonio look he keep his day, or he shall pay for this. A kinder gentleman treads not the earth. I saw Bassanio and Antonio part. Bassanio told him he would make some speed of his return. He answered, Do not so. Slubber not business for my sake, Bassanio, but stay the very writing of the time. And for the Jew's bond which he hath of me, let it not enter in your mind of love. Be merry, and employ your chiefest thoughts to courtship and such fair ostents of love. And even there, his eye being big with tears, turning his face, he put his hand behind him, and with affection wondrous sensible, he wrung Bassanio's hand. And so they parted. I think he only loves the world for him. I pray thee, let us go and find him out and quicken his embrace heaviness with some delight or other. The exit. Scene 9, Belmont, a room in Portia's house. Flourish the cornets. Enter, the Prince of Aragon, Portia and her train. Behold, there stand the caskets, noble prince. If you choose that wherein I am contained, straight shall our nuptial rites be solemnized. I am enjoined by oath to observe three things. First, never to unfold to anyone which casket was I chose. Next, if I fail of the right casket, never in my life to woo a maid in way of marriage. <clears throat> lastly, if I do fail in fortune of my choice, immediately to leave you and be gone. To these injunctions, everyone doth swear that comes to hazard for my worthless self. <laughs> and so have I addressed me. Fortune now to my heart's hope. Gold, silver, and base lead. Who chooseth me must give and hazard all he hath. You shall look fairer, ere I give or hazard. What says the golden chest? Let me see. Who chooseth me shall gain what many men deserve, desire. What many men desire, that many may be meant by the full multitude that choose by show. I will not choose what many men desire. Because I will not jump with common spirits and rake me, rake me with the barbarous multitudes. By then to thee, thou silver treasure house, who chooseth me shall get as much as he deserves. Well said, too. For who shall go about to cousin fortune and be honorable without the stamp of merit? I will assume desert. Give me a key for this and instantly unlock my fortunes here. He opens the silver casket. What's here? The portrait of a blinking idiot. <laughs> Who chooseth me shall have as much as he deserves. Did I deserve no more than a fool's head? Is that my prize? Are my deserts no better? To offend and judge are distinct offices and of opposed natures. 
Still more fool I shall appear by the time I linger here. With one fool's head I came to woo, but I go away with two. Exit Aragon and Train. Oh, these deliberate fools! When they do choose, they have the wisdom by their wit to lose. Enter Nerissa. Madam, there is a light at your gate, a young Venetian. One that comes before to signify the approaching of his lord, from whom he bringeth sensible regrets to wit, besides commends and courteous breath, gifts of rich value. Yet I have not seen so likely an ambassador of love. <sighs> A day in April never came so sweet. To show how costly someone was at hand as this forced for comes before his lord. <laughs> More, I pray thee. I have a fear thou wilt say anon he is some kin to thee. Thou spendest it such high day wit in praising him. Come, come, Nerissa. <sighs> for I long to see quick Cupid's post that comes so mannerly. Act 3, Scene 1. Venice, a street. Enter Solanio and Salarino. Now, what news on the Rialto? Why, yet it lives there unchecked that Antonio hath a ship of rich lading wrecked on the narrow seas. The Goodwins, I think they call the place, a very dangerous, flat and fatal, where the carcasses of many a tall ship lie buried, as they say, if my gossip report be an honest woman of her word. Oh, what sayest thou? Why, the end is, he hath lost the ship! I would it might prove the end of his losses. Let me say amen betimes, as the devil crossed my prayer. Ah, oh, for here he comes now in the likeness of a Jew. Enter Shylock. How now, Shylock? What news among the merchants? You know none so well. None so well as you of my daughter's flight. That's certain. I, for my part, knew the tailor that made the wings she flew withal. And she was off. For his own part, knew the bird was fledged. And then it's the complexion of them all to meet the damned. She is damned for it! That's certain if the devil may be her judge. My own flesh and blood to rebel! Out upon it, old carrion! Rebels it at these years! Say, my daughter is my flesh and blood. No, there is more difference between thy flesh and hers than between jet and ivory. More between your bloods than there is between red wine and rhenish. But, uh, tell us, do you hear whether Antonio has had any loss at sea or no? There I have another bad match. A bankrupt! A prodigal who dare scarce show his head upon the Rialto. A beggar! That was used to come so smug upon the mont. Let him look to his bond. He was wont to call me usurer. Let him look to his bond. He was wont to lend money for a Christian courtesy. Let him look to his bond. Why, I am sure if, if he forfeits, thou wilt not take his flesh. What's that good for? To bake fish with all. <laughs> <laughs> if it will feed nothing else, it will feed my revenge. He hath disgraced me and hindered me half a million, laughed at my losses, mocked at my gains, scorned my nation, thwarted my bargains, cooled my friends, heated my enemies. And what's his reason? I am a Jew. Hath not a Jew eyes? Hath not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions? Fed with the same food? Hurt with the same weapons? Subject to the same diseases? Healed by the same means? 
warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is? If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? <laughs> we are like you in the rest. We will resemble you in that. If a Jew wrong a Christian, what is his humility? Revenge. If a Christian wrong a Jew, what should his sufferance be by Christian example? Why? Revenge. The villainy you teach me, I will execute, and it will go hard. Only I will better the instruction. Enter to all. Here comes another of the tribe. A third cannot be matched unless the devil himself turned Jew. Exusilanio and Celerino. How now, Tubal? What news from Genoa? Hast thou found my daughter? I often came when I did hear of her, but cannot find her. Other men have ill luck, too. Antonio, as I heard in Genoa. What? What? What ill luck? Ill luck? Hath an argosy cast away, coming from Tripoli. I thank God. Thank God! Is it true? Is it true? I spoke with some of the sailors that escaped the wreck. I thank thee, good Tubal. Good news! Good news! <laughs> Where? In Genoa? Your daughter spent in Genoa, as I heard, in one night. Four score ducats. Thou stickest a dagger in me, Tubal! I shall never see my gold again! Four score ducats! It is sitting! Four score ducats! There came divers of Antonio's creditors in my company to Venice that swear he cannot choose but break. I'm very glad of it. I'll plague him. I'll torture him. I am glad of it. One of them showed me a ring that he had of your daughter for a monkey. Out on her! Thou torturest me, Tubal. It was my turquoise. I had it of Leah when I was a bachelor. I would not have given it for a wilderness of monkeys. But Antonio is certainly undone. Nay, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. And we're going to take a 10 minute intermission. See you after. Scene two, Belmont. A room in Portia's house. Enter Bassanio, Portia, Graffiano, Larissa. I pray you tarry. Pause a day or two before you hazard, for in choosing wrong I lose your company. Therefore, forbear a while. I mean choose. For as I am, I live upon the rack. Upon the rack, Bassanio! Then confess what treason there is mingled with your love. None but that ugly treason of mistrust, which makes me fear the enjoying of my love. There may as well be amity and life between snow and fire as treason and my love. Aye, but I fear you speak upon the rack, where men enforce you speak anything. Promise me life, and I'll confess the truth. Well, then confess and live. Confess and love had been the very sum of my confession. Oh, happy torment, when my torture or death teach me answers for deliverance. But let me to my fortune and the caskets. Away then. I am locked in one of them. If you do love me, you will find me out. 
Nerissa and the rest stand on the roof. Bassanio stands before the caskets. Let music sound, for he doth make his choice. Tell me where his fancy bred, or in the heart, or in the head. How begot, how nourished, reply, reply. It is engendered in the eyes, with gazing fed and fancy dies, in the cradle where it lies. Let our soul ring fancies now. I'll begin it, ding dong bell, ding dong bell. So may the outward shows be less themselves. The world is still deceived with ornament. In law, what plea so tainted and corrupt? But being seasoned with a gracious voice obscures the show of evil. In religion, what damned error but some sober brow will bless it and approve it with a text hiding the grossness with fair ornament? There is no vice so simple but assumes some mark of virtue on his outward parts. How many cowards whose hearts are all as false as stairs of sand wear yet upon their chins the beards of Hercules and frowning Mars, who inward searched have livers white as milk? But these assume but valor's excrement to render them doubted. Look on beauty, and you shall see tis purchased by the weight, which therein works a miracle in nature, making them lightest that wear most of it. Thus, ornament is but the beauteous scarf veiling an Indian beauty. In a word, the seeming truth which cunning times put on to entrap the wisest. Therefore, thou gaudy gold, Hard food from Midas, I will none of thee. For nor none of thee, thou pale and common drudge, Between man and man. But thou, thou meager lead, Which rather threatenest than dost promise aught, Thy paleness moves me more than eloquence. And here choose I. Joy be the consequence. How all the other passions fleet to air, as doubtful thoughts and rash embrace despair and, and shuddering fear and green-eyed jealousy. O oh, love, be moderate. Allay thy ecstasy and measure rain thy joy, scant this excess. I feel too much thy blessing. Make it less, for fear I serve it. What find I here? Opening the leaden casket. <laughs> Fair Portia's counterfeit! Here is the scroll, the continent, and summary of my fortune. You that choose not by the view, chair as fence and choose as true. Since this fortune falls to you, be content and seek no new. If you be well pleased with this, and hold your fortune for your bliss, turn you where your lady is and claim her with a loving kiss. A gentle scroll. Fair lady. I your leave, I come by note to give and to receive. So stand I, even so, as doubtful whether what I see be true. Until confirmed, signed, ratified by you. You see me, Lord Bassanio, where I stand, such as I am. Though for myself alone I would not be ambitious in my wish, to wish myself much better. Yet for you I would be troubled twenty times myself. A thousand times more fair, ten thousand times more rich. 
that only to stand high in your account I might in virtue, beauties, livings, friends, exceed account. But the full sum of me is sum of something which, to term in gross, is an unlessened girl, unschooled, unpracticed. Happy in this, she is not yet so old, but she may learn. Happier than this, she is not bred so dull, but she can learn. Happiest of all is that her gentle spirit commits itself to yours, to be directed, myself and what is mine, to yours, and you is now converted. I give them with this ring, which when you part from, lose, or give away, let it presage the ruin of your love. <laughs> you have bereft me of all words. Only my blood speaks to you in my veins. But when this ring parts from this finger, oh, then be bold to say Bassanio is dead. <clears throat> my Lord Bassanio and my dead lady, <laughs> I wish you all the joy that you can wish. <laughs> and when your honors mean to solemnize the bargain of your faith, I do beseech you, even at that time, I may be married too. <laughs> With all my heart, so thou canst find a wife. <laughs> I thank your lordship. You have got me one. My eyes, my lord, can look as swift as yours. You saw the mistress. I beheld the maid. <laughs> Your fortune stood upon the casket there, and so did mine too, as the matter falls. For wooing here until I sweat again, and sweating until my very roof was dry with oaths of love at last. If promise last, I got a promise of this fair one here. The Havre God provided that your fortune achieved her mistress. Is this true, Mean good faith? Yes. Faith, my lord. <laughs> Enter Lorenzo, Jessica, and Solanio, a messenger from Venice. Lorenzo and Solanio, welcome hither. Oh, sweet Porsche, welcome. So do I, my lord. They are entirely welcome. I thank your honor. For my part, my lord, my purpose was not to have seen you here, but meeting with Solanio by the way. He did entreat me last all saying nay to come along with him. I did, my lord, and I have reason for it. Signor Antonio commends him to you. Give Bassanio a letter. Nerissa Chirion, stranger, bid her welcome. Your hand, Solanio. What's the news from Venice? How doth that royal merchant go to Antonio? I know he would be glad of our success. We are the Jasons! We have won the fleece! I would have won the fleece that he had lost. There are some shrewd contents in yon same paper that steals the color from Bassanio's cheek. With leave, Bassanio, I am half yourself, and I must freely have the half of anything that this same paper brings you. Oh, sweet Portia, here are a few of the unpleasantest words that ever blotted paper. Gentle lady, when I did first impart my love to you, I freely told you all the wealth I had ran in my veins. I was a gentleman, and then I told you true. And yet, dear lady, rating myself at nothing, you shall see how much I was a braggart. 
When I told you my state was nothing, I should have then told you that I was worse than nothing. For indeed, I have engaged myself to a, a dear friend, engaged my friend to his mere enemy to feed my means. Here is a letter, lady. The paper as the body of my friend, and every word in it a gaping wound issuing lifeblood. But is it true, Salaya? Have all his ventures failed? I mean, what? Not one hit? Not one, my lord. Besides, it should appear that if he had the present money to discharge the Jew, he would not take it. He plies the Duke at morning and at night, and doth impeach the freedom of the state if they deny him his justice and his bond. When I was with him, I heard him swear to Tubal that he would rather have Antonio's flesh than twenty times the value sum that he did owe him. Is it your dear friend that is thus in trouble? The dearest friend to me, the kindest man. The best conditioned and unwearied spirit than any that draws breath in Italy. What sum owes he to you? For me, three thousand ducats. (laughs) (laughs) What? No more? You shall have gold to pay the petty debt twenty times over. When it is paid, bring your true friend along. My maid, Nerissa, and myself, meantime, will live as maids and widows. Come away, for you shall hence upon your wedding day. Bid your friends welcome, share a merry cheer. Since you are dear bought, I will love you, dear. Since I have your good leave to go away, I will make haste. But till I come again, no bed shall fail the guilty of my stay. No rest be interposed twixt us twain. They exit. Scene three, Venice, a street. Enter Shylock, Salarino, Antonio, and Jailer. Jailer, look to him. Tell me not mercy. This is the fool that lent out money gratis. Jailer, look to him. Hear me yet, good Shylock. I'll have my ball. Speak not against my ball. I have sworn an oath that I will have my bond. Thou callest me dog before thou hadst a cause. But since I'm dog, beware my fangs. <laughs> the Duke shall grant me justice. I do wonder, thou naughty jailer, that thou art so fond to come abroad with him at his request. I pray thee, hear me speak. I'll have my bond. I'll not hear thee speak. I'll have my bond, and therefore speak no more. I'll not be made a soft and dull-eyed fool to shake the head, relent and sigh, and yield to Christian intercessors. Follow not. I'll have no speaking. I will have my bond. Exits. It is the most impenetrable curve that ever kept with men. Let him alone. I'll follow him no more with bootless prayers. He seeks my life, his reason well I know. I oft delivered from his forfeitures, many that have at times made moan to me, therefore he hates me. I am sure the Duke will never grant this forfeiture to hold. The Duke cannot deny the course of law. For the commodity that strangers have with us in Venice, if it be denied, will much impeach the justice of his state, since that the trade and profit of the city consisteth of all nations. Therefore go, 
These griefs and losses have so baited me that I shall hardly spare a pound of flesh tomorrow to my bloody creditor. They exit. Scene four, Belmont, a room in Portia's house. Enter Portia, Nerissa. Come on, Nerissa. I have work at hand that you yet know not of. We'll see our husbands before they think of us. Shall they see us? They shall, Nerissa. But it's such a habit that they shall think we are accomplished with what we lack. I'll hold thee any wager, and when we are both accoutred like men, I'll prove the prettiest fellow of the two. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Why shall we turn to the men? Why? What a question is that? And thou art near a lewd interpreter. But come on, I'll tell thee all my whole device when I am in my coach, which stays for us at the park gate. And therefore, haste away, for we must measure twenty miles today. <laughs> Act four, scene one, Venice, a court of justice. Enter the Duke, the Magnificos, Antonio, Bassanio, Gratiano, Solanio, and others. What is Antonio here? Ready, so please your grace. I am sorry for thee. Thou come to answer a stony adversary, an inhuman wretch, uncapable of pity, Void and empty from any dram of mercy. I have heard your grace hath taken great pains to qualify his rigorous course. But since he stands obdurate, and that no lawful means can carry me out of his envy's reach, I do oppose my patience to his fury, and am armed to suffer, with a quietness of spirit, the very tyranny and rage of his. Go one and call the Jew into the court. He is ready at the door. He comes, my lord. Enter Shylock. Make room and let him stand before our face. Shylock, the world thinks, and I think so too, that thou what leads to this fashion of thy malice to the last hour of act, and then tis thought thou show thy mercy and remorse more strange than is thy strange apparent cruelty. And where thou now exacts the penalty, which is a pound of this poor merchant's flesh, thou wilt not only loose the forfeiture, but touched with human gentleness and love, forgive a moiety of the principle. We all expect a gentle answer, Jew. I have possessed your grace of what I purpose, and by our holy Sabbath I have sworn to have the Jew in forfeit of my bond. If you deny it, let the danger light upon your charter and your city's freedom. You will ask me, why I'd rather choose to have a weight of carrion flesh than to receive three thousand ducats. I'll not answer that. But say, it is my humor. Is it answered? So I can give no reason, nor will I not, more than a lodged hate and a certain loathing I bear Antonio, that I follow thus a losing suit against him. Are you answered? This is no answer, thou unfeeling man, to excuse the current of thy cruelty. I'm not bound to please thee with my answer. Do all men kill the things they do not love? Hates any man the thing he would not kill? Every offense is not a hate at first. What? Wouldst thou have a serpent sting thee twice? I pray you, think you question with the Jew. You may as well go stand upon the beach and bid the main flood bait his usual height. You may as well use question with the wolf. Why he hath made the ewe bleat for the lamb. You may as well forbid the mountain pines to wag their high tops and to make no noise when they are threatened with the gusts of heaven. 
may as well do anything most hard as seek to soften that, his Jewish heart. Therefore, I do beseech you, make no more offers. Use no farther means, but with all brief and plain conveniency, let me have judgment in the Jew his will. For thy three thousand ducats here is six. What judgment shall I dread? Doing were in six part and every part a ducat. I would not draw them. I would have my ball. Shalt thou hope for mercy, rendering none? What judgment shall I dread doing no wrong? You have among you many a purchased slave, which, like your asses and your dogs and mules, you use in abject and slavish parts, because you bought them. Shall I say to you, let them be free, marry them to your heirs? <laughs> Why sweat they under burthens? Let their beds be made as soft as yours, and let their pallets be seasoned with such viands. You will answer the slaves are ours. So do I answer you. The pound of flesh which I demand of him is dearly bought. Tis mine, and I will have it. If you deny me, fie upon your law. There is no force in the decrees of Venice. I stand for judgment. Answer, shall I have it? Upon my power I may dismiss this court, unless Bellario, a learned doctor, whom I have sent for to determine this, come here today. My lord, he sta stays without. A messenger with letters from the doctor, now come from new come from Padua. Bring us a letter, call the messenger. Good cheer, Antonio. What man courage yet? The Jew shall have my flesh, blood, bones, and all, yet thou shalt lose for me one drop of blood. I am a tainted weather of the flock. Meet us for death. The weakest kind of fruit drops earliest to the ground, and so let me. You cannot better be employed this summer than to live still and write my epitaph. Enter Nerissa, dressed like a lawyer's clerk. <laughs> Came you from Padua, from Bellario? From both, my lord. Bellario, <laughs> <laughs> greets your grace. Presenting a letter. This letter from Valerio doth commend a young and learned doctor to our court. Where is he? He attendeth here hard by to know your answer whether you'll admit him. Enter Portia, dressed like a doctor of laws. You are welcome. Take your place. Are you acquainted with the difference that holds this present question in the court? <clears throat> I am informed thoroughly of the cause. Which is the merchant here, and which is the Jew? Antonio and Old Shylock both stand forth. Is your name Shylock? Shylock is my name. Of a strange nature is the suit you follow, yet in such rule that the Venetian law cannot impugn you as you do proceed. You stand within his danger, do you not? Aye, so he says. Do you confess the bond? I do. Then must the Jew be merciful. On what compulsion must I? Tell me that. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to all, 
and modesty wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above the sceptred law. It is above the sceptred sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth then show like as God's when mercy seasons justice. Therefore, Jew, though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. I have spoke thus much to mitigate the justice of thy plea, which, if thou follow, this strict court of Venice must needs give sentence against the merchant there. My deeds upon my head, I crave the law, the penalty and forfeit of my bond. Is he not able to discharge the money? Yea, here I tender it for him in the court. Yea, twice the sum. If that will not suffice, I will be bound to pay it ten times or on forfeit of my hands, my head, my heart. It must not be. There is no power in Venice can alter a decree established to be recorded for a precedent. And many an error by the same example will rush into the state. <clears throat> it cannot be. Daniel, come to judgment. Yea, Daniel. O oh, wise young judge, how I do honor thee. I pray you, let me look upon the bond. Here it is, Reverend Doctor. <laughs> Here it is. Shylock. There's thrice thy money offered thee. An oath! An oath! I have sworn an oath in heaven! Shall I lay perjury upon my soul? No, not for Venice. <laughs> Why, this bond is forfeit. And lawfully by this the Jew may claim a pound of flesh to be by him cut off nearest the merchant's heart. Be merciful. Take thrice thy money, bid me, tear the bond. When it is paid according to the tenor. <laughs> it doth appear you are a worthy judge. You know the law. Your exposition hath been most sad. I charge you by the law, whereof you are a most well-deserving pillar. Proceed to judgment. By my soul, I swear, there is no power in the tongue of man to alter me. <clears throat> I stand here. On my ball. Most heartily, I do beseech the court to give the judgment. Why then? Thus it is. You must prepare your bosom for his knife, for the intent and purpose of the law hath full relation to the penalty, which here appeareth due upon the bond. Therefore, lie bare your bosom. Aye, his breast. So says the bond, doth it not, noble judge? Nearest his heart. Those are the very words. It is so. Are the balance here to weigh the flesh? I have them ready. Have by some surgeon, Shylock, on your charge to stop his wounds lest he do bleed to death? Is it so nominated in the ball? It is not expressed. <laughs> what of that? Twere good you do so much for charity. <clears throat> I cannot find it. Tis not in the bar. <laughs> you, merchant, have you anything to say? But little. I am armed and well prepared. Give me your hand, Bassanio. Fare you well. 
Grieve not that I am fallen to this for you. Commend me to your honorable wife. Tell her the process of Antonio's end. Say how I loved you. Speak me fair in death. And when the tale is told, bid her be judged whether Bassanio had not once a love. Antonio, I am married to a wife which is as dear to me as life itself. But life itself, my wife, and all the world are not with me esteemed above thy life. I would lose all, I sacrifice them all, here to this devil to deliver you. Your wife would give you little thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> if she were mine, and to hear you make me up. <laughs> I have a wife whom I protest I love. I would she were in heaven so she could entreat some power to change this courage doom. <laughs> Tis <laughs> well you all right behind her back. <laughs> I wish but he kills an unquiet house. These be the Christian husbands. I have a daughter. Would any of the stock of Barabbas have been her husband rather than a Christian? We trifle time, I pray thee, pursue sentence. A pound of that same merchant's flesh is thine. <clears throat> the court awards it. And the law doth give it. Most rightful judge. And you must cut this flesh from off his breast. The law allows it, and the court awards it. Most learned judge. Take then thy bond, take thou thy pound of flesh. But in the cutting of it, if thou dost shed one drop of Christian blood, <laughs> Thy lands and goods are, by the laws of Venice, confiscated unto the laws and state of Venice. Go upright, judge! Mark you! learned <laughs> <laughs> judge! Is, is that the law? Thyself shall see the act. For, as thou urgest justice, be assured thou shalt have justice more than thou desirest. I take this offer, then. Pay the bond thrice, and let the Christian go. Here is the money. Soft! The Jew shall have all justice. Soft! No haste. He shall have nothing but the penalty. Therefore, prepare thee to cut off the flesh. Shed no blood, nor cut thou less no more, but just one pound of flesh. If thou cuts more or less than just a pound, be it but so much as makes it light or heavy in the substance, or the division of the twentieth part of one cause scruple. Nay, if the scale do turn but in the estimation of a hair, thou diest, and all thy goods are confiscated. <coughs> Why doth the Jew pause? Give me my principal and let me go. I have it ready for thee. Here it is. He hath refused it in the open court. He shall have merely justice and his bond. <coughs> shall I not have barely my principal? Thou shalt have nothing but the forfeiture to be taken at thy peril, Jew. Why then the devil and give him good for it? I'll stay no longer questioning. Tarry, Jew. The law hath yet another hold on you. It is enacted in the laws of Venice. If it be proved against any alien that by direct or indirect attempts he seek the life of any citizen, 
The party against that which he doth contrive shall seize one half of his goods. The other half comes to the privy coffer of the state, and the offender's life lies in the mercy of the duke only against all other boys. In which predicament I say thou standest. For it appears by manifest proceeding that indirectly and directly too thou hast contrived against the very life of the defendant. And thou hast incurred the danger formerly by me rehearsed. Down, therefore, and beg mercy of the Duke. Beg that thou mayest have leave to hang thyself. <laughs> and yet, thy wealth being forfeit to the state, thou hast not left the value of a corn. Therefore thou must be hanged at the state's charge. That thou shalt see the difference of our spirits. I pardon thee thy life before thou askest. For half thy wealth it is Antonio's. The other half comes to the general state, which humbleness may drive unto a fine. Ah, for the state, not for Antonio. Nay. Take my life and all. Pardon not that. You take my house when you do take the prop that doth sustain my house. You take my life when you do take the means there whereby I live. What mercy can you render him, <coughs> Antonio? Halter, grass, nothing else for God's sake. So please my lord, the duke, and all the court, to quit the fine for one half of his goods, I am content. So he will let me have the other half in use to render it upon his death unto the gentleman that lately stole his daughter. Two things provided more, that for this favor he presently become a Christian. <laughs> the other, that he do record a gift here in the court of all he dies possessed unto his son Lorenzo and his daughter. He shall do this, or else I do recant the pardon that I late pronounced here. Art thou contented, Jew? What dost thou say? I'm content. Cook, draw a deed of gift. Pray you. Give me leave to go from hence. I am not well. Send the deed after me, and I will sign it. Get thee gone, but do it. In christening shalt thou have two godfathers. Had I been judged, thou shouldst have ten more to bring me to the gallows, not the font. Exit Shylock. Sir, I entreat you to me to dinner. Oh, I, I humbly do desire your grace of pardon. <laughs> I must away this night towards... Padua, and it is me I presently set forth. I am sorry that your leisure serves you not. Antonio, gratify this gentleman, for in my mind, you are much bound to him. Exit the Duke in strain. Most worthy gentlemen, I and my friend have by your wisdom been this day acquitted of grievous penalties. In lieu whereof three thousand ducats due unto the Jew, we freely hope to your courteous gains and pains with all. He is well paid that is well satisfied, and I, delivering you, am satisfied, and therein do account myself well paid. Dear sir, of force I must attempt you further. Take some remembrance of us as a tribute. Oh, you press me far, and therefore I'll take this ring from you. Do not draw back your hand. I'll take no more. And you in love shall not deny me this. 
This ring, good sir, alas, it is a trifle. I will not shame myself to give you this. I will have nothing else but only this. And now methinks I have a mind to it. There's more depends on this than on the value. The dearest ring in Venice will I give you, and find it out by proclamation. Only for this, I pray you, pardon me. I see, sir. You are liberal in offers. You taught me to beg, and, and now methinks you teach me how a beggar should be answered. Good sir, this ring was given me by my wife. When she put it on, she made me vow that I should neither sell nor give <laughs> nor lose it. My lord Bassanio, let him have the ring. Let his deservings and my love withal be valued against your wife's commandment. <laughs> well, sir, you ought to accept this ring. I do accept. Most thankfully, I pray you, show my youth old Shylock's house. That will I do. Sir, I would speak with you. <clears throat> See if I can get my husband's ring, which I did make him swear to keep forever. <laughs> <clears throat> Come, good sir, will you show me to this house? Act 5, scene 1, Belmont, Avenue to Porsche's house. Enter Lorenzo and Jessica. The moon shines bright. In such a night did Jessica steal from the wealthy Jew, and with an unthrift love did run from Venice as far as Belmont. In such a night did young Lorenzo swear he loved her well, stealing her soul with many vows of faith and never a true one. In such a night did pretty Jessica, like a little shrew, slander her love, and he forgave it her. How sweet the moonlight sleeps upon this bank. Here will we sit and let the sounds of music ring in our ears. Soft stillness of the night become the touches of sweet harmony. Sit, Jessica. Look how the floor of heaven is thick and laid with patines of bright gold. There's not the smallest orb which thou beholdst, but in this motion like an angel sings. I am never merry when I hear sweet music. Enter Portia and Nurza. That light we see is burning in my hall. How far that little candle throws his beams. So shines a good deed in a naughty world. When the moon shone, we did not see the candle. Oh, so doth the greater glory, nonetheless. That is a voice, or am I much deceived of Portia? He knows me as the blind man knows the cuckoo by the bad voice. To me, welcome home. We have been praying for our husband's health, which speed, we hope, the better for our words. Are they returned? <clears throat> Madam, they are not yet. Oh, go in, Larissa. Give order to my servants that they take no note at all of our being absent hence. Nor you, nor Lorenzo. Jessica, nor you. A tucket sounds. <laughs> Your husband is at hand, I hear his trumpet. We are no telltales, madam, fear you not. This night, methinks, is but the daylight sick. It looks a little paler. Tis a day, such as the days when the sun is hid. Into Bassanio, Antonio, Gradiano, and their followers. We should hold day with the Antipodes if you would walk in absence of the sun. Let me give light, but let me not be light. For a light wife doth make a heavy husband, and never be Bassanio so for me. You are welcome home, my lord. I thank you, madam. Give welcome to my friend. This is the man. This is Antonio, to whom I am so infinitely bound. 
you should in all sense be much bound to him. For as I hear, he was much bound to you. No more than I am well acquitted of. Sir, you are very welcome in our house. By yonder moon, I swear you do me wrong. In faith, I gave it to the judge's bird. Would he were dealt that had it? For my part, since you do take it love so much at heart. Oh, quarrel, though. Already? What's the matter? Oh, about a hoop of gold, a paltry ring that she did give me, who's posy for all the world like Cutler's poetry upon a knife. Love me and leave me not. What talk you of the posy or the value? You swore to me when I did give it to you that you would wear it till your hour of death and that it should lie with you in your grave. <laughs> Though not for me, yet for your vehement oaths, you should have been respected and have kept it. Give it to a judge. <laughs> <laughs> now, by this hand, I gave it to a you. A kind of boy. A little scrubbed boy. No writer than thyself, the judge's clerk. A praying boy that begged it as a fee. I could not for my heart deny it him. You were to blame. I must be plain with you. To part so slightly with your wife's first gift. A thing stuck on with oaths upon your finger. And so riveted with faith unto your flesh. I give my love a ring and make him swear never to part with it. <laughs> and here he stands. I dare be sworn for him. He would not leave it, nor pluck it from his finger for the wealth that the world masters. Why, well, I were best to cut my left hand off and swear I lost it in the defending of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> my lord, Bosanto gave his ring away. <laughs> <laughs> Deserved it too. And then the boy, his clerk, that took some pains in writing, he begged mine, and neither man nor master would take aught but the rings. What ring gave you, my lord? Not that, I hope, which you received of me. <laughs> <laughs> if I could add a, a lie unto a fault, I would deny it. But you see, my finger hath not the ring upon it, it is gone. Even so void is your false heart of truth. By heaven, I will ne'er come in your bed until I see this ring. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear till I see mine. <laughs> Sweet Portia, if you did know to whom I gave the ring, if you did know for whom I gave the ring, and would conceive for what I gave the ring, and how unwillingly I left the ring, when naught would be accepted but the ring, you would abate the strength of your displeasure. If you had known the virtue of the ring, of half her worthiness that gave the ring, of your own honor to contain the ring, you would not have parted with the ring. What man is there so much unreasonable if you had pleased to have defended it with, with any terms of zeal? Wanted the modesty to urge the thing held as a ceremony. Nerissa teaches me what to believe. I'll die for it, but some woman had the ring. No, by my honor, madam! 
by my soul, no room to have it. But a civil doctor, which did refuse three thousand ducats of me, and begged the ring, for which I did deny him, and suffered him to go displeased away, even he that did uphold the very life of my dear friend. What should I say, sweet lady? I was enforced to send it after him. I was beset with shame and courtesy. My honor would not let ingratitude so much besmear it. Let not that doctor ever come near my house. Said he, since he hath got the jewel that I love, and that which you did swear to keep for me, I will become as liberal as you. I'll not deny him anything I have. No, not my body, nor my husband's bed. Know him I shall, I am sure of it. Lie not a night from home, watch me like Argus. If you do not, if I be left alone now by my honor, which is yet mine own, I'll have that doctor for my bedfellow. And I his clerk. <laughs> I am the unhappy subject of these quarrels. Sir, <laughs> agreed not you. You are welcome notwithstanding. I once did lend my body for his wealth, which but for him that had your husband's ring had quite miscarried. I dare be bound again, my soul upon the forfeit, that your lord will never more break faith advisedly. Then you shall be his surety. Give him this, and bid him keep it better than the other. Here, Lord Bassanio, swear to keep this ring. By heaven, it is the same I gave the doctor. You are all amazed. <laughs> <laughs> Here is the letter. Read it at your leisure. It comes from Padua, from Bellario. There you shall find that Portia was the doctor. Nerissa there, her clerk. <laughs> Lorenzo here shall witness. I set forth as soon as you, and even now, but now returned. I have not yet entered my house. Antonio, you are welcome, and I have better news in store for you than you expect. Unseal this letter soon. There you shall find three of your argosies are richly come to harbor. Suddenly, you shall not see by what strange accident I chanced on this letter. I am done. Were you the doctor? And I knew you not. Were you the clerk that is to make me cuckold? <laughs> but the clerk that never means to do it unless he live until he be a man. <laughs> Sweet doctor, you shall be my bedfellow. When I am absent, then lie with my wife. Sweet lady, you have given me life and living. How now, Lorenzo? My clerk has some good comforts too for you. Aye, and I'll give them him without a fee. There do I give to you and Jessica. From the rich Jew, a special deed of gift. After his death, all of he dies possessing all. Fair ladies, you drop manna in the way of starved people. It's almost morning, and I'm sure you are not satisfied with these events at full. Let us go in and charge us upon interrogatories, and we will answer all things faithfully. Then exit.
Before we uh, begin the final part of tonight's uh, thing, we just want to take a chance to thank the cast and we don't have a program. So, uh, in reverse order, Ryan Hayes is the narrator. Chris Stewart is Lancelot. Raina Weber is the Duke. Rick Lopes is uh, Salanio. Salerio Salarino. David <laughs> Vita is Gratiano. I'm Stuart Bassel, and I was Bassanio. Chris Kelly was Antonio. Nathan Tucker was Shylock. was Portia. Sean Landry was Narissa. Tony Summers was Lorenzo. Lisa Swanson was Jessica. Jason Wong was the Prince of Morocco. Fenton was the Prince of Aragon and the <laughs> And Ryan Alkowski? Alkowski was too bald. <laughs> so we're going to kind of clear the stage and give us two minutes uh, for that, and then we're going to commence with the final part, which is giving you a chance to talk about the show and how it relates to the issues at hand. Uh, we have a couple of really awesome people who are going to take the stage and answer questions or help field them or whatever. Um, Denise is one of them. We all remember Denise. She was... <laughs> uh, the second is actually my favorite writer in the world, um, sort of uh, here to represent um, one perspective. Peter S. Beagle uh, was born in New York City in 1939, the author of such classic works as A Fine and Private Place, The Last Unicorn, Tamsin, and The Innkeeper's Song. He's acknowledged as America's greatest living fantasist author, and in addition to stories and novels, he's written numerous essays for such prestigious publications as Harper's, several teleplays and screenplays, including the animated version of The Lord of the Rings, and um, the uh, fan-favorite episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation, Sarah. Uh, his nonfiction book, I See by My Outfit, is considered a classic of American travel writing. He's the winner of both Hugo and the Nebula Awards, as well as the Locus Award, the WSFA Small Press Award. And he's about to come out with a new book, We Never Talk About.